Welcome to My Business Playbook, where we pull back the curtain on the steps and missteps of successful people. You'll hear a raw and unfiltered play-by-play of what's worked and what hasn't, giving you helpful advice and insights so you can create an amazing business. I'm your host, Laura Higgins, and this is My Business Playbook. Hello and welcome back to My Business Playbook. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, earlier in the year, we interviewed Emma Green of Your CEO Mentor on the show. And the feedback from that episode was amazing. So many people messaged me saying how much they loved the episode with Emma, where she talked all about leadership and small business. And if you have listened to that episode, you know that Emma runs that business with her dad, Martin G. Moore. So today, I am super excited to welcome Marty to the show to talk all things leadership in small business. Now, to give you a little context, Marty is the former CEO of CS Energy. And after a 33-year long career in which he worked his way up the corporate ladder, Marty traded in his corner office for a career as a leadership performance expert at Your CEO Mentor. This is where he developed Leadership Beyond the Theory, which is an online leadership program where he shares his insights and wisdom with leaders globally. Let me tell you, this guy knows his stuff. And in super exciting news, Marty has just released his book, No Bullshit Leadership. This book is your roadmap for leadership success, and it is oh so practical. I know you're going to love it, and I know you're going to love this conversation. So let's dive straight in. Well, welcome, Marty. It is so good to have you with us today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. How the heck are you? I'm doing great, Laura, and it's fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this. I I was saying to you before we hit record, for me, this is like a one-on-one coaching that I'm just hitting record on. So, (laughs) thank you. We can pretend there's no one listening. That's fine with me. (laughs) Great. I'm looking forward to that. Now, tell us about your business. Tell us about what you do and, you know... We've had your wonderful daughter, Emma, on the show before, but tell us a bit about Your CEO Mentor and and what you guys are all about. Sure, Laurie. Well, look, we set up Your CEO Mentor about three years ago. We started operating. We have a purpose of improving the quality of leaders globally. That's why we're here. Emma and I are both very, very driven by that purpose, and everything we do has to meet that yardstick, no matter what it is. Uh, We've got a a saying. It's our favourite saying. It's not original. Income follows impact. So the more people we can impact positively, uh, the more our business will grow. And we've proven that out in the last three years or so. Now, I had a long career as a corporate leader. And my final gig, which was five years as chief executive of a company called CS Energy, which is an electricity generator, not very fashionable. Uh, We ran a string of coal-fired power stations. And I know that we're trying to green the planet, but until we can get renewables to the state where they can do it themselves, uh, lights and air conditioning, courtesy of us, you're welcome. <laughs> so, so yeah, but that's that was a multi-billion dollar business, uh, a large business. And through my corporate career, I worked in a lot of different industries and I went through a lot of different job families. So from the time I got serious about my corporate career, and I actually originally started off, I don't tell many people this, I originally started off as a software developer. So I was really? an IT guy. Yeah, there is hope for everyone. Don't you worry. <laughs> and um, and I, uh, I started my serious corporate career in sort of the early 2000s. And 
my first job was chief information officer of a large mining company, an ASX50 listed mining company. I went from there to uh, an insurance business. I went from there to transport and logistics, and I went from there to energy. So I went through those different uh, industries and of course had to recognize what was common and recognize the patterns between those and to be able to get results, even though I didn't know the industry I was going into. Uh, I also had executive roles as a chief information officer, a CFO, a head of sales and marketing, and a head of strategy. So I sort of did the tour of the grounds, right? Yeah. And what it did was to give me a really good understanding of what I didn't know. And that's why it was really important for me to learn how to lead, because I had to take the people that I found when I got into these businesses and get the best out of them and get the best outcomes for the business using my generic skill set of commercial skills, marketing skills, negotiation skills, and so forth, and bring the technical piece out of the people who work for me who had that industry experience. And that seemed to work pretty well. So given that I had that background and I'd been mentoring Emma for a number of years through her early career, she said, oh, Dad, we, we've got to set a business up. You, you, you can't keep just working in corporate for this. You've got a lot more to give. So yeah. she talked me into it. I love it. And I love that you've recognised that to lead, you don't need to know everything about a certain subject matter. You don't need to be a technical expert on the execution. I think that's such a cool distinction because so often we get into business, particularly in small business, because we are technically good at something, right? Like I'm technically good at marketing, but for me, the shift into, okay, well, I need to get the best out of my team now. It's such a, it it is a skill and it's something that I don't think we can naturally just kind of switch into, right? No, no, we can't. And, And it's actually, ultimately, it's everything. It's to know what you don't know, to get the people who do know that, and to be able to bring that out of them. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's really, that's the whole ballgame. Now, it's very hard when you're in a startup business because you don't have unlimited resources. Some of the companies I worked in, you could solve everything with a check. Yes. And it was pretty easy to do, right? You write a check for this and, hey, you can, you can bring on another team of people. You can, you know, mitigate a risk. You can buy another asset. You can do anything you need to do because you have this big pot of money to play with. Um, and, of course, every business has constraints. But as a startup founder, you don't have that. So you better be pretty good at what you're doing. Yeah, totally. And that actually leads me into to one of my kind of practical questions for you. So you've gone from being the CEO, CFO, all of those things for multi-billion dollar companies. And now you've started your CEO mentor. So you're in startup, small business land. Hmm. Is there a difference in how a small business owner should lead as opposed to an executive? And how do you kind of define that? It's a really good question. I think the principles are very much the same. Yeah. All of the things that I did as a chief executive of a multi-billion dollar business are things that I do now. Yeah. And a lot of it's around just the focus on the right things. So for example, the number one thing that we focus on is delivering value. The value piece is everything. Now, before your listeners get all upset about the fact that I'm a capitalist bastard, value <laughs> comes in many different shapes and sizes in all sorts of different forms. So you can get value from, of course, financial outcomes where you're making money. You can get value from making the work environment safer for your employees. You can uh, create value by having environmentally sustainable products that meet your customers' requirements. You can get value from risk reduction, uh, the risks that your business faces, the whole range of ways you can generate value. Yeah. The number one thing for a leader, though, is to understand profoundly 
what value is in your context. So in your industry, your organisation, this point in time even, you've got to actually understand what value is and then go after only that because we do so much stuff that isn't high-value work. We just do it because it's repetitive, it's rusted on activity that the organisation's done for years or it's things that make us comfortable or don't demand too much from us. And we do those things and don't focus our attention on what's really important to drive value. And, and I really want to touch on your book, No Bullshit Leadership, and it's also the name of your podcast as well. Why has your approach been no bullshit leadership? What, what, do you, what does that really mean to you? To me, it means, and look, to tell you the truth, Laura, some of this was born out of frustration <laughs> from looking at the leadership yes. stuff that was out there because it was so abstract, yeah. so nebulous. All the talk about desirable leadership attributes, personal attributes. So we're really talking about virtue signaling. Great leaders are humble. Great yeah. leaders are fallible. Great leaders are transparent. And, and look, that's all well and good, right? There's a, there's a place for that. And these are important things. Don't get me wrong. But there's no roadmap. There's no practical set of tools that says, okay, let's say I decide I want to be more humble. Where do I start? What do I do? How do I develop that over time? Because it doesn't happen quickly. Yes. But instead... It's theoretical and it's abstract. And we listen to it or we watch it on a video and we feel comforted because it makes us feel inspired and motivated. These are the noble virtues that we aspire to. And then we go away and we do absolutely nothing. Nothing. (laughs) We don't change. We don't do anything different. But we feel better about it. We feel as though we're good leaders. And we walk into the organisation each day and our people are saying, Marty is a shit leader. He's terrible. <laughs> I hate working for him, right? But he thinks he's awesome. Like there's this massive disconnect. And, and I think the, um, uh, the, the, the style of content that's coming out on leadership has driven that over a number of years. So I just wanted to get back to basics, right? Leaders are there to deliver value, to yeah. create results. Mm-hmm. And I'm reconnecting this concept of if you're a leader, your job is to get the best you can out of your people and the resources that you're gifted by your organisation and as a, a, an entrepreneurial startup founder, it's your capital at risk. You can't afford to mess around with this stuff. It's your capital at risk. Yeah. So your job is to do the best you can with the resources you've got. That's what's going to make you successful. And leadership is all about learning how to do that thing. Yeah, totally. And and I think when Emma came on the show, I was like in this process of we were hiring, our team was growing, and I was starting this tension of, okay, my job now isn't just marketing. My job isn't just me delivering value to our clients and to our students. My job is now to lead the team, actually communicate the vision because I have a vision in my head, but communicating it and articulating it and really getting the team on board and, and getting them into their sweet spot and all of those things. And it takes up a lot of your headspace. Like it actually, I kind of sometimes think, man, why am I, why am I like a bit tired and a bit like feeling like, oh, how am I going to get everything done? And I think it's because I've, my role has changed. It feels like my role is now, oh, I'm not just here to execute. I'm actually here to empower the team to, to do that. So it's a real shift. And I think a lot of our community are in that zone of, they're growing, they're scaling, they're wanting to offer offer a lot of value and they're wanting to help as many people as they can. But I think this leadership piece 
feels like an afterthought. It feels like, oh, I don't know how to give a performance review. I don't know how to actually honestly say, give feedback or how to actually communicate the vision. Like, I think half the time it's like, I don't know what the vision is. I'm working it out as I go, you know. (laughs) I feel like sometimes, Marty, I'm like, I say this to my husband. I'm like, I am building a house and I'm, I'm on the second floor and I'm building it and kind of like figuring it out. And everyone else is on the first floor looking up at me going, where are we going? And I'm like, stay where you are. Don't move. So it feels yeah. like this, I guess when it comes to leadership and leadership developing that as a skill, it feels like this afterthought for I think a lot of startup entrepreneurs and small business owners. So my question for you is, why do you think we don't actually see ourselves as leaders from the beginning? Well, I think whether you're uh, starting up a business of your own or whether you're going into a career as a lawyer or an architect or a, a marketer, I think you spend a lot of time and focus on that technical discipline. Yeah. And you spend a lot of, if, let's say you want to be a doctor, you're going to spend six years studying another year or two as an intern and you'll do your tour. You will do a lot of work to get that qualification to be a doctor. And then you start to lead a medical team or a team of surgeons or whatever it is that you're doing. And you value, you prize your identity as a doctor and a surgeon. You don't prize your identity as a leader. And it's very hard to let go of technical skills because that's what gives us our value in the market. You know, yeah. you're, you're there in that awesome business that you have, Laura, because you are a great marketer. And that's what brought you your success. And now you have to learn to let go of that at least a little bit as you bring on other people to do that work for you. Yes. And... As we find out pretty quickly as leaders, no one will ever do the job as well as you can do it yourself, <laughs> yes. right? Hey, and and that's, right, that's, that's something you've got to get over. You've got to accept that. No one's ever going to do it as well as I will, but that's okay because I've got to do some different things now. And I've got to make space for that person to pick up this role from me so that they can actually achieve that so that I can move on to do the growth things. And growing the business is going to be most hamstrung by the bandwidth both mentally and emotionally, of the founder and CEO. That's, that's the way it's going to be. Ah, that makes so much sense. And so when someone is scaling, so if you know, a lot of our community are really wanting to grow and really wanting to empower their team and also create a really awesome place to work as well, what do you think are the common leadership mistakes that small business owners, entrepreneurs and startups make when they're in that zone of scaling and and growth? Well, probably the first thing is uh, hiring the wrong people (laughs) because we like to hire in our own image. And when you've got limited resources and you're just starting to bring new people on, you're not trying to hire someone like yourself. You should be trying to hire someone who's got things that you don't have, really. right? You want to complement your skills and you want to complement your capabilities. And to do that, You've got to be prepared to hire someone who doesn't look exactly like you. And we all love to hire in our own image. (laughs) So we make a lot of hiring mistakes because we don't think through the actual skills and capabilities that we need to grow the business in certain ways. We also sometimes underestimate the amount of effort it takes to grow. And we miss out on a real thorough understanding of the steps to scale to a certain level. Let me just give you a quick example. Uh, let's say we're talking about a factory, a manufacturing operation. That factory will have a certain amount of capacity that it can achieve. And at many times in its life, it's going to be well under the capacity that can achieve when it's going at full run rate. 
And so let's say you've got capacity to generate a thousand widgets a week, and you might start off only needing to generate 300 widgets a week because that's the demand. And eventually you'll grow and you'll grow and you'll grow and you get to about 900 and you go, oh, this is really stressing the system. And I know that really soon I'm going to be at my thousand widget capacity. And so now I've got to make a step change investment to get me to 1,800 or 2,500 or whatever that next step change is. How do I do that? That's, that's a step change in investment. So understanding those, those barriers you're going to get to where you go, I've just outgrown my capacity or I'm about to outgrow my capacity. What do I need to invest to keep this growing? And where do I need to invest it? And how do I deploy that most sensibly? So it's understanding those things I think is quite important. And then, you know, let's get back to the real basics here. A lot of profitable businesses fail because the founder isn't watching the till. You've got to watch the till, right? Cash flow is everything. And um, as, as they say in financial circles, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash flow is reality. Right, so, so you can be growing like stink, and if you don't have the working capital to support that, you're still going to go broke. Yeah. And so understanding these things, depend, and, and that's really fast growth businesses, right? And assuming that you're not Canva or Afterpay, right? It's those types <laughs> of businesses. They don't have to turn a profit to get multi-billion dollar valuations. But, um, but for most of us, that's, that's what we're facing in our businesses. So those are some of the sort of common errors that uh, if you haven't been exposed to them in larger businesses, you can easily fall into those traps. Totally. That makes so so much sense and so so you're saying uh, I, sorry Lord, let me just check are you enjoying our coaching session I'm enjoying it so much I'm like, <laughs> my brain is like okay cool so what else do I need to know from, <laughs> what else do I need to know okay here's a question asking for a friend yeah of course <laughs> we had this thing just the other day and and totally agree with what you're saying like you're hiring people to do you always think you can do your the job better, especially when you've come into it as this is my technical expertise, this is what I'm really good at, this is what the business is all about. I can send that email better, I can send that invoice better, you know, yeah. it, it's it's stupid. But anyway, so how do you, I, I had a one of my team, she said to me the other day, I asked her for some feedback. I was like- Hang on, who are we talking about here? Is this you? No, yeah, sorry, I'm talking- Oh, is this a friend? <laughs> This is my friend. That is me. Okay, good. This is me asking my team for feedback. And I said, can, like, can you give me some feedback? And she said to me, when you meddle, you kind of meddle a little bit. Like you, you put your finger in things that, that actually you've, you've told me to do. And you kind, of, you kind of wreck my systems a little bit. And I was like, okay, got it, got it, got it. And so immediately I'm like, okay, I need to kind of take my hands off and I, I need to not micromanage. So my first question to you is, how do you stop micromanaging? Right. Well, the first <laughs> thing is, we've already agreed. No one's going to be able to do it as well as you. The next thing is to take this attitude and mantra of excellence over perfection. Yes. For 99% of stuff that you do, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be excellent. And the three words that used to come out of my mouth all the time as a CEO of a large business was, that's good enough. That's good enough. Keep moving. Momentum and pace are much more important than trying to perfect something. Yes. And I, always, I would always say to people, you know, a decision that you make today that's 80% right is infinitely better than a decision you make next week that's 85% right, which is <laughs> infinitely better than the decision you make in a month's time that's 90% right. And nothing ever gets to 100%. Nothing ever gets to 100%. So you've got to let go 
of the need to have everything perfected. Now, some things you want to guard fairly jealously. And in our business, Emma guards brand very jealously. Yes. So she she always makes sure that things that go out there are professional on brand um, in terms of tone, you know, design, everything. And that's something that for our community, we need to make sure that that's pretty good. Yeah. But Emma is a recovering perfectionist like her father. And uh, what we do is we very much go with the case of let's get it out there. Let's test it. Let's see what happens. Uh, I listened to a fantastic podcast interview uh, a month or two ago from um, one of the Tim Ferriss Show podcasts with uh, Mark Randolph, who was co-founder of Netflix. I'm not sure whether you've heard that one. It's an absolute (laughs) cracker. I can really recommend this to some of your listeners because he talks about how he started Netflix and other businesses and what he found important. And his his realisation after the first one of these startups was, we're, we're just completely blowing this. We're just taking too long between cycles. It's taking us two weeks to get this cycle out and test it and, and release something. By the time they got over that, they were doing two or three a day. But yeah. they realised that having the odd spelling error or something else didn't affect the way the community accepted it and received it. And so that realisation of, you know, we'll tidy it up later. Let's just, let's just do it cheaply to find out what works and then we can fix it later. We'll, we can adjust, we can adapt, we can do whatever we want, but keep moving. Momentum is way more important than anything else. Now, once you truly understand that and you really take it on board in your psyche, it's really powerful and you're quite happy. You, you, know, you won't let stuff that's you know, straight out wrong go out to your community, but, but a whole bunch of stuff you do with clients can have a tolerance for not being perfect. You just got to get over that. Yes, totally. And so, yeah, it, it's the micromanaging definitely correlates with that perfectionism thing. And I think it's such a, oh, it, it's such a, I think it's a constant battle for me. I'm always like, okay, I've just got to really navigate that tension of the excellence and perfection are not the same thing. And, and that's, that distinction is so, that makes it much clearer to actually go, all right, something can be excellent without being perfect. It can be 85%, 80% right. And that's, that's actually yeah. yep. great. That's, that's good enough. Keep moving. Yeah. And one other thing though, I will drop in here in terms of the micromanaging thing is that you've got to trust the person you put into a role. Yes. And you've got to, as a leader, expect them to perform at the right standard. Yeah. And you've got to let them do that. So if someone's not producing the results the way you want them, you have two choices. You can either get them to the point where they can produce results the way you want, or you can find someone else who will do that. Yes. The option of you stepping in and doing it for them is just a bad idea for a thousand reasons, which I won't go into. But, you know, you'll demotivate the individual, you'll spend time doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And as long as you're doing that, you can't be doing your job. And so there's so many ways that that's a bad idea. So you either trust someone to do their job or you get someone you trust and bring them in. That's it. That's your two choices as a leader. Yeah, Yeah. that makes so much sense. And my second part to this question is, how do you as a leader, and and I'm, I'm curious with your thoughts on this because you've gone into big, huge organizations and things can get complex really quickly. How do you fight to keep things simple and and without going into the nitty-gritty of the details where that's where I find I get micromanagey when I'm like, oh, how are we sending this email and how does this appear? Like, how do you keep things simple, keep things streamlined and effective without kind of going into being too deep in the details? Yeah, this is a tricky one uh, because a lot of organisations actually build complexity in. 
yeah. and a lot of uh, industries and uh, people who are in certain roles build complexity in. So if you want to talk to an engineer about a simple problem, they will try and make it as complex as they can and throw as much jargon over the top so that you don't understand it, so that it becomes mystical. Yes. And I came, I came from the tech sector in my young days before it was a trendy thing to do. And the amount of complexity and jargon that was built around that to make it seem a hell of a lot harder than it was, was mind-boggling to me. But it made it a mystique thing where right. people who weren't part of that little in-group said, wow, that's really complicated. We better let the IT guys handle that. Or that's really complicated. That's an engineering thing. And so it tends to give you a little bit of siloing. It turns you into a black box that people don't look into too hard. And that's where these people love to be. They love to not be challenged and scrutinised too hard. Yes. And so you give them the little black box and then they tell you to go away because you don't understand engineering and away you go. So this, this, is, this is actually a really tricky thing. Now, I don't believe that most of the complexity we have is actually warranted. Yeah. And probably if I was going to say uh, as modestly as I possibly could what my superpower is, it's looking at complexity and being able to break it down into its simplest form, not oversimplifying it, but breaking it down into its simplest form. And I used to spend the majority of my time as a corporate executive trying to cut through the complexity that was built up around things and strip away all of the non-essential elements and say, okay, guys, it's not that hard. Here are the three things that matter. Out of the 100 things you're looking at, here are the three that matter. These are the things we're going to focus on. This will help us make our decision, and this is what we're going to invest in. And so my ability to do that I found incredibly valuable uh, throughout my career and spent most of my time just trying to simplify things. Yes. Um, stopping things that are already started, probably the hardest thing you'll ever try and do as a leader because they get a life of their own. People get emotionally attached to them. Uh, they turn up on a budget plan and all of a sudden money flows towards it. It's crazy, right? Yes. But if you could only work out what those value things are that we spoke about earlier, the things that really drive value and cut everything else out, just stop it. Yeah. If you could do that, happy days. It will simplify your workload. It'll simplify the way your organisation does business and it'll free up a lot of resources you can put into more productive things. Totally. That makes so much sense. And I think even in, in the online business world, the messaging is have one offer, have one thing that you do yeah. or like you see the rise of like a Vino Mofo or Good Pair Days or these people who are like, we do this subscription and that is yeah. it. And it. And it's so simple for people to to like just opt in and, and buy. So it really makes it simple for the customer to understand as well as the team to understand. So that makes so, so much sense. So we need to resist the complexity. And I like your, your distinction between not oversimplifying it because yeah. I find, and this happens, this is more of a marketing thing, but I find when people, people want to add value online, they often oversimplify something that's quite complex and something that's taken them decades to learn. And they do it in like a little dancing reel. And it's like, it's not that simple. So it's like, it's kind of, I like the distinction between its simplest form is not oversimplifying. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you know, it's weird because as humans, we like to have those uh, really simple practical tips. Yeah, I can't tell you how many articles I'm writing at the moment over in the US uh, for um, different publications over here as part of our PR drive, Yeah, where I'm writing, you know, your five surefire tips to do this or your, you know, three ways to do that or, you know, here's your seven, you know, rules of thumb for this. And, you know, whereas part of me goes, yeah, but 
I'm not oversimplifying it. I'm actually giving some pretty hard-hitting stuff. I still hate the concept of having to do here's three tips I'm going to give you. You know what I mean? Yes. It, sort of, it sort of cuts against my grain as a no-bullshit leader. I feel like saying, guys, it's really hard. Let me tell you the one thing you've got to do. And if you're not prepared to do that, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> do my course. Which, but it's what the world wants, right? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So I just I have a few more questions for you. Sure. So I'm really curious about your thoughts on the culture of overwork and how we as leaders should navigate this space and and the changes that are happening around people working remotely, around people actually not doing as many hours but just being being as productive. I, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. How do we as leaders really navigate this well? Because I think about Elon Musk he um, has been, I've seen a bunch of articles about him recently where he's like, if you come and work for us, you're working 100 hours a week and that's it. How do we kind of navigate this and how do we as leaders respond to the way that the culture is changing? Uh, let me start with the, the culture of overwork mm. and, and the balance thing because I think that's an interesting one. I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I just know it's not for me. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example. Uh, you, you mentioned Elon Musk. I, I prefer an example from um, the mining sector, a company called Glencore, yes. uh, which used to be a commodities trader and now owns, you know, they, they took over Extrata a number of years ago. They're one of the largest miners in the world. They used to be run by a guy by the name of Ivan Glassenberg, who's um, an Australian citizen, um, dual citizen. And Ivan used to say, don't come to Glencore if you want work-life balance. You come here, you come here to work. Work is your life. You will become very rich, but make no mistake. If you're looking for work-life balance, this is not the company for you. Yeah. Now, I got to say, I love the clarity. Yes. Would I go and work there? No. Like I've, <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but that's me. But there are some people who that will be attractive to. That's why graduate accountants go and work for consulting firms who are going to push them 80, 90 hours a week Yes, yeah. for very little money because they look at the long term and they look at the track to being a partner in the firm. And so for different people, they have a different appetite and a different level of ambition. Now, I think those companies are probably going to find, uh, find it harder to attract the type of person that they want in there, the type of person that suits that culture. I think that will become more difficult. But I also think there's something to be said for the fact that they call it work for a reason. Yes. Now, the, the work from home thing, I've got to tell you, I'm mildly sceptical. Yeah. I know that it can be done. I love it. Since I set up this business, I work from a home office most of the time and, unless I'm with clients. And I love the flexibility that it gives. Now, I might still work 60 or 70 hours a week on a, on a tough week. But I, if I choose to take Monday morning off to have a round of golf, I can do that. Yeah. Which I love. But I've got to say the first lockdowns in Brisbane, Australia, when I was there last year for COVID, uh, we lived right next to a golf course there and you could not get onto the first tee for about four weeks. The carts were backed up forever because that was people <laughs> working from home. <laughs> so there's going to be a balance that emerges. Yeah. And I think uh, the, the beauty of where we're heading is that leaders are going to have to lead based on results and outputs as opposed to inputs. Yes. Five, ten years ago, you could see someone at their desk. You could work out how many hours they were putting in at the desk, how productive they were, how much time they were spending, you know, Googling the interweb as opposed to doing the work they were supposed to do. Yeah. 
Let's face it, the internet doesn't <laughs> Google itself, right? Someone's got to do it, Laura. Um, so, so, you know, you could work that out because you had people in close proximity. Now that you don't have that, you've got to actually gauge them based on what they produce and how they produce it. And it's a lot harder to see that as a leader because you don't get the same level of proximity. And so things like talent management and development, um, how you communicate, uh, creating the right culture for the organisation, that's a lot trickier. Yes. And so as a leader, even though the principles and the foundations are exactly the same as they ever were, you're going to find it harder. And if you weren't leading well before, you're really going to struggle in the new environment, really struggle. That makes so much sense. So I, I think the idea of the idea of working remote and managing your team and leading your team and all of the different ways we need to communicate, I think that's such a a new world thing that we're going to need to mm. adjust to as leaders as well, yeah. right? Like there's so much, things are a lot harder. And I think our tendency is to jump on Slack or jump on email rather than pick up the phone. And so it, it does, communication becomes uh, far less fluid and far less easy to understand each other. So I think it's it's definitely something to consider as well as as particularly in Australia at the moment where everyone's kind of in lockdowns as well. So that's super helpful. So I just want to do a few rapid fire questions for you to finish up. Tell me, what has been the most valuable investment you've made in your business? The most valuable investment? Wow, that's a great question. I think, I think investing in the people is always the most valuable investment. As a, uh, let's call myself a late stage entrepreneur, I turn. I, I know I don't look at Laura, but I turn sixty next year. Really? So, uh, no. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, but but I I made a lot of mistakes with other people's money, which was awesome. I got to do my learning on the corporate dollar, where I was you know managing a large organisation at different points and being able to test things and try them without the fear of it coming out of my own hip pocket and bankrupting me, which is sort of a good way to learn, really. Yes. And no mistake that you make is fatal in those types of businesses. They're very fault tolerant. And so uh, for everything that you do wrong, you're doing 10 things right. And that works pretty well. And so the, the company generates value overall. I think the investment in the people that I speak about is that we are really committed to having the right people, the right culture, we, we pay them uh, as well as we can. We want them to share in the upside of what we do. We want them to believe in what we're doing. Yeah. We absolutely want them to believe in what we're doing. So even when we were taking on outsourced contractors in the early days, when we were outsourcing a bunch of stuff like, you know, accounting, bookkeeping, you know, design, uh, video, colour grading, like all those things that you do that just require someone to do them who's an expert, even then we were looking for people who had the right culture, the excellence over perfection, the, you know, we want this to be the best we can. We, we have an eye for detail and an attention to that. And now that we've brought on a few of our permanent staff members now, they are just fantastic. We couldn't be happier with the hires we've made. And those investments are the things that will return the most benefit. And yes, we've, we've invested really cleverly in, if I don't say so myself, uh, <laughs> cleverly in uh, putting money back into the business. So for example, with the launch of my book, we put a bunch of money into the right marketing, the right public relations, the right uh, uh, the right manuscript editing. You know, we managed to get the right people to secure us a top agent in New York. All those sorts of things that contribute to a project that's actually going to be successful. So when we started making money, we didn't go out and buy jet skis and Maseratis, right? We've just gone, let's throw this back into the business. Let's invest here to grow this and let's see how big we can grow it. 
Yes. And fortunately, Emma and I are of uh, an exact like mind on that. So we're both really big believers in reinvest, grow, reinvest, grow. Uh, and we'll be doing that for quite a few years yet, let me tell you. <laughs> so, so, that's, so, so the smart investments we made were investments in people and anything that goes back into the business to grow it. Yep. What is your biggest piece of advice that you wish you knew when you started your CEO mentor? Probably that it won't happen as quickly as I thought it would. Yeah. Now, we've, we've shown very steady and quite impressive growth in pretty much everything we've done. The podcast, our online leadership program, uh, anything that we've done has sort of worked out really, really well for us. We're extremely fortunate in that regard. And as I was saying before, I am a late stage entrepreneur, so I understood a bunch of these principles of, you know, commercial principles, you know, funding, investment decisions, um, negotiation, like a whole range of things that I bring from corporate land, which have to be made fit for purpose. You've got to scale them down to make them right, but are still really, really valuable. So I think really understanding what it takes to grow and to get growth in this new democratic marketing environment that's driven digitally was a bit of a surprise to me because I was looking at, as all business owners do, the hockey stick. This is awesome (laughs) because once we get to this stage, it's going to grow exponentially. And exponential growth, we haven't seen yet. What we've seen is really strong, steady growth, and we love that. Uh, But I think the myth about, you know, you put something on YouTube and it goes viral, or you do something this way and it goes viral, I think that really doesn't uh, tell the story about the hard work and graft that's required to grow the business. Because it's just hard work and graft and doing things really consistently over and over again. And that's the same as businesses always were. I just had a misconception about what the new world of, you know, the digital space looked like. Um, I think Emma probably had a much better idea of it than I did, and I trusted her implicitly. But, uh, yeah, that was something that surprised me. So I wish I'd known and someone said, yeah, Marty, it's not going to happen that fast. You know that business plan that you just put together for five years? Yeah, that's going to be broken in six months. <laughs> yes, but that would have been sad advice that you would have you would have been like, oh, like whoever said that sucks. So... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I don't mind that so much, Laura. I love anyone who will tell me the truth right. to the best of their ability. Anyone who can anyone who could say to me, hey, don't do that, that's that's a really dumb idea. I go, oh, really? Explain that to me. And I'm always open to hearing someone who can give me something I don't have already, yes. who can teach me something or who can give me a perspective that I don't have already. So I'm, I'm just a sponge for that stuff and I always have been. Um, so whereas a lot of people that are getting to my senior years might become more set in their ways, uh, I like to think I like to think that I'm more open now than I was when I was 20. Uh, and I, I think that's probably true of myself. Um, I like to say to him that the older I get, the less certain I am about practically everything. That's very wise. That's so wise. That's good. Now, tell us, I want to finish up, tell us about the book. I'm, I'm super excited about No Bullshit Leadership. And I just want to hear a little bit about the book, where people can get it, and also where people can find you and follow you. For Australian listeners, uh, I think yourceomentor.com. And then, of course, my book is being published under the name Martin G. Moore. Now, that's sort of, it sounded a bit more formal than Marty, I know. But, <laughs> um, but when, when we looked at, of course, it's being published in the US. And when we looked at the US market, we realized that, number one, um, to differentiate ourselves, we had to have something that was uh, distinctive. And, of course, there are lots of Martin Moores, one of which is a furniture brand, uh, that owns the Martin, martinmore.com uh, domain name. Oh. So we managed to get martingmore.com as the domain name, and ever since that, everything's aligned to that. 
So martingmore.com, uh, which is the name of the book's coming under, that's got speaking book uh, and contact details in there. And um, yeah, yourceomentor.com. So we have orders that we're placing for Australian and international buyers separately. Anyone who wants to find out about it, those are the two websites. Amazing. And we'll link to those in the show notes. I am so excited about this book and I'm so excited about what you do. And I love what you and Emma have built with your CEO mentor. It is incredible. And I think for anyone listening, leadership is a skill and it's one that you can learn. And Marty and Em are the absolute pros at this. So I encourage you to check them out. Also check out No Bullshit Leadership podcast as well, which we'll also link in the show notes because there are some like, I love that you do express, like they're short, sharp and punchy episodes and they're incredible. So I'm going to link to all of those in the show notes and I encourage you to check those out. But Marty, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your wisdom and for um, my one-on-one coaching session. (laughs) (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure, Laura. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope your listeners get a lot out of it. Thank you so much. Thanks. How amazing was that? I just love Marty's practical approach to leadership. And I just want to encourage you, if you are a small business owner, if you are growing your business and you're starting to hire staff or you're you're really starting to grow your team, I want to encourage you to invest into developing your leadership. This is something that I really want to invest in and I really believe it's a skill. It's something we can learn. So if you want to invest into learning more about how to become a really great leader, a really great boss, then head on over to our show notes where we've got all of Marty's resources, all of his links to his new book, No Bullshit Leadership, to his course, and also to your CEO mentor, because the programs that these guys do are really, really incredible. I encourage you to check that out. I encourage you to be really implementing what Marty's spoken about in this episode today. I know that you're going to find it useful and I'm really excited to hear your thoughts. So send me a DM of you listening to this. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear what you've taken away from today's episode. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us and I hope that you have a glorious week. Go get them.